Welcome to Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This is class number four, where we address the difference between priesthood in the church and priesthood in the home. It is vital that we understand that difference. Since we usually discuss priesthood in the church, we rarely have discussions in our home about what priesthood looks like in the home. How is it different than priesthood in the church? And because we fail to have those discussions in the home, we often make the false assumption that priesthood functions in the home the same way it functions in the church. And that is false. Okay, a little premise. We've got some new faces one more time. The premise of our class is that truth was restored in the order of its importance. That is a significant truth. Truth was restored in the order of its importance. And the reason I say that is so many people get caught up and they identify the restoration as lesser things. The restoration is the first vision. The restoration is really the foundation of the restoration is what was established first. Tell me the very first truth of the restoration. We know who we worship. We know who we worship. The, and he knows us and they're, they're, we have a personal relationship with them. That is the foundation of the restoration. If you leave the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that's what you're leaving. That's what you're walking away from. Our knowledge of our Heavenly Father and Jesus. Far more than anything else, that's the restoration. Truth was restored in the order of its importance. Therefore, the foundation of my testimony the foundation of me belonging to the restoration, the foundation of my identity as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints should start with, I know who God is and I have a relationship with Him. Now, after the first vision comes the Book of Mormon. Now, every single circle we're going to add to this, every time we talk about another foundation that came you're going to see that they all point back to that foundation. The main purpose of the Book of Mormon is to, re to reveal Christ and connect us with the Father. That's the purpose of the Book of Mormon. But the Book of Mormon also holds a vital role in the restoration. The Book of Mormon legitimizes our knowledge of the Father. How do we say to the world, we really do know how he, who He is? What gives credence and credibility to the restoration? This book. And how do you account for it? Where did it come from? Who wrote it? You either have to claim that a 23-year-old with no education wrote it without, in a single draft in 70 days. At six, it was 588 pages in the first edition. You either have to claim a 23-year-old wrote a 588-page book in a single draft in 70-ish days without ever looking back and seeing or making revisions and without any outside source material. And yet that book is so filled with the most incredible deep Hebrewisms and all sorts of intertextual connections. Or you claim what? Joseph claimed from the very beginning that it came forth by the gift and power of God. 
Now, if the Book of Mormon is true, then what do we know about Joseph Smith? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our doctrines. See, apostates have it all wrong. Let me shout it out to the, all the apostates. You're all idiots. You're attacking the church at the wrong level. You don't attack the church at the doctrinal level. That's four steps in. You want to destroy the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You have one task and one task only. What is it? Show the Book of Mormon is a fraud. Show that the Book of Mormon was written in the 1800s. That it includes things that would not, that Nephi through Moroni would never have included. I can prove that Shakes, that Julius Caesar was not written in the days of Julius Caesar. There's a line in that play that says, the clock struck. And that makes it very clear that it was not written in the days of Julius Caesar, right? So where are all those phrases in the Book of Mormon? That the clock struck, proving that it was clearly written in the 1800s. The answer is, just the opposite is true. The Book of Mormon is filled with evidence that it was written from 600 BC to 400 AD. Now, if that's the case, do you see what it does to the restoration? It brings credence and legitimacy to the restoration. But that's a secondary role, right? What's the main purpose of the Book of Mormon? Testify of Christ. Now, while they're translating the Book of Mormon, what, net, what major event comes after that? They get to 3rd Nephi, they're talking about baptism, Jesus talks about baptism, that gets them thinking about baptism, they go out to the banks of the... Now, at this point, they're in Pennsylvania, they've come to Emma's house, they're translating in Pennsylvania, so they go out to the Susquehanna River, and John the Baptist appears and restores the Aaronic Priesthood. Later, Peter, James, and John appear and restore the Melchizedek Priesthood. So now that becomes our third foundation, priesthood. Last week, we have to have two discussions when it comes to priesthood. Last week, we had discussion number one. There are two types of priesthood, and I don't mean Aaronic and Melchizedek. I'm talking about the administration of the power of God. One, and please don't ask me to spell these because I'm horrible, hierarchical priesthood. We need to understand hierarchical priesthood. H period, that's how you do it hierarchical priesthood. The second, and unfortunately the world has corrupted this word, is patriarchal priesthood. Maybe we ought to change that. And maybe we ought to call it, the, the idea, when we call it patriarchal priesthood, what we're referring to is the priesthood of the patriarchs. The priesthood that was handed down father to son in families, the priesthood of the family. That's probably a better title because of what the world has done with the title patriarch. But patriarchal priesthood is the priesthood of the family. Hierarchical priesthood is the priesthood we hold, we see in the church. Now here's the, my problem, here's my observation. Rarely do we talk about priesthood in the home. Almost every discussion I've ever seen anywhere in any context about priesthood is church priesthood, which is hierarchical priesthood. And one of the biggest mistakes we make is that in the home we practice hierarchical priesthood. It's caused a lot of misunderstandings and it caused a lot of men to abuse women. We do not, we do not practice hierarchical priesthood in the home.
we practice patriarchal, home priesthood. So last week, we took a look at hierarchical priesthood. And we started with brand new prophet, Russell Nelson, his very first address. January, he, he becomes prophet in January of 2018. So April 2018 is his very first address. Now he stands up to make a few changes, but the first time he pulls the guns out to speak as prophet, the first time he picks up his mantle and says, let me wear the mantle of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young all the way down to, Russell, or to Thomas, B., or Thomas S. Monson. He wears the mantle. The first thing he does in that talk appropriately is pay tribute to his predecessor. And then he said, may I share a concern? Now, President Nelson has shared many concerns in his presidency, but he began with a big one. May I share a concern? What was his first concern? Too many men and women in the church do not understand priesthood, authority, and power. That was the prophet's first concern. Claim your privileges in the priesthood. Do women exercise authority in the priesthood? Yes, they do. Do women exercise power in the priesthood? Yes, they may. And understanding and claiming that is vital. It is a foundation of the restoration to understand what my privileges are with the priesthood. Now, that was last week's class. If you missed it, you can go back and listen. But that's a vital understanding is I understand hierarchical priesthood. Now, before we move on to home priesthood, there's one more topic about hierarchical I, I want to address. As soon as I say the word hierarchy, it may bring concern and fear into your heart. Because usually hierarchy is bad, isn't it? Pyramid schemes. And usually in business, if you've got a hierarchical business, the higher you go, the greater your pride. And so to suggest that God exercises hierarchical priesthood raises some concerns unless we understand a fundamental truth about that hierarchy. Now, hierarchical priesthood would suggest that it's hierarchical. My bishop stops presiding and has no more authority the moment my stake president walks in the room. My bishop is no longer in charge because of hierarchical priesthood. Now, the Lord does that to maintain order. Have you ever watched the Quorum of the Twelve and First Presidency leave the conference center? They leave in order. Why? What's the thinking? If I'm David A. Bednar, what's my thinking? I'm not exiting this building until everyone with higher authority has left. And so they do. They leave in hierarchical authority. President Nelson is the first one out. And no one leaves until he does. And no one else leaves until all of the authority above you have left. 
that maintains order. But the worry in the world, hierarchically, hierarchy usually brings power and arrogance and misuse of that power and pride. So the one thing I want to point out is that the Lord has imposed on this hierarchy a totally different concept. The, the higher you go up, the more your authority increases, but what increases with it? All of those, but that's not what the Lord pulled out, called out first. All of those are true. Accountability, responsibility, all of that increases. But Jesus called out something else. And I, I, just, I just need to say that this is the Lord's system. And the reason I want to do that is all of you are going to have an opportunity to coach people on that hierarchy, whether it's your son, your husband, a friend. Someone on that hierarchy is going to need this reminder. Um, let me show you an example. And no one's in my ward. <laughs> we have a deacon's quorum. But you know how number one, the number one, usually feed, is, takes the sacrament to the bishop. Number one takes it to the bishop. And that's kind of a, you know, high prestigious call, you know, position, right? I'm taking the sacrament to the bishop. You're all waiting for me. Can't start till I get here. We have a deacon's quorum president who takes number one every single week. Now, my son is a deacon and would love to be number one. <laughs> he said that, Dad, I'd love to be number one. Well, why aren't you? Well, because blank, blank, blank never lets me. Now, I, I know that's a silly thing, but do you, do you see it's a misuse of his authority, right? Because I have authority, I'm using that authority to promote myself. Now, before we get to the solution, I just want to emphasize that authority can be taken away if you don't understand this concept. So first, I want to go to Doctrine and Covenants 121, starting in verse 34. Many are called, but few are chosen. And I think part of that is many of you have been given authority, but don't have power. You lose the power. I think our deacon's quorum president has lost his power. So Doctrine and Covenants section 121, verse 34, many, of, many are called and few are chosen. Why are they not chosen? Now, this was last week's point. The lesson the church has not learned, the great lesson that I think President Nelson was saying in that very first dress, address that we haven't learned is what? Power comes from righteousness, not office, not key, not authority. Power comes from righteousness. And that's where women exercise power. Power comes from righteousness. Now, when can that power be taken away? Let's read it. Verse 35. Because their hearts are set so much upon the things of this world and aspire to the honors of men that they do not learn this one lesson, 
That they keep going. I just want to keep reading. are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven, and that the powers of heaven cannot be controlled nor handled only upon the principles of righteousness. Okay, I may keep going. That they may be conferred upon us, it is true, but when we undertake to cover our sins or to gratify our pride, our vain ambition, or to exercise control or dominion or compulsion upon the souls of the children of men in any degree of unrighteousness, behold, the heavens withdraw. The Spirit of the Lord is grieved, and when it is withdrawn, amen to the priesthood or the authority of heaven. Now, and it, I think, I think the, the idea here is amen what is to what? The deacon's quorum president didn't lose his authority. He's still the deacon's quorum president. But what did he lose? Power. Because he's using his key to do what? Vain ambition. Gratify his pride. Amen to the priesthood and authority of that man or woman. Amen to her authority. Amen to her priest. Amen to her power. Because we forget that as authority increases, so does what? Yes, responsibility. Yes, accountability. Totally agree. But that's not what Jesus called out. He specifically gathered his disciples when he saw misuse. He saw it being misused in the world. And he gathered his disciples and said, that is not how my hierarchy works. Do you remember what he said? Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, probably the best version, but you'll find it in every one of the gospels. You'll find it all throughout the Doctrine and Covenants. When Jesus saw a misuse of worldly authority, he said, this is not how it works in my church. So tell me what he said. Matthew chapter 20, 25 through 28, some of my absolute favorite verses in the New Testament. Abby, read it. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the people who exercise dominion over them, and they that a great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. 28. Oh, sorry. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. So in your own words, finish the sentence. As you increase up this hierarchy, you increase in authority, but you also increase in your need to serve service attitude in other words the more you go up this hierarchy the more you should be focused on the people around you that is the lord system now one of my favorite examples turn with me to section um, 124 if that is in place, if the people on the Lord's hierarchy, the higher they go up, the more they increase in servitude, in desiring to bless and help, and I'm focused on your happiness. If that's true, then what are they? What are the offices of the priesthood? Go to section 124.
Okay, let me get there. Now jump to the end. And let's start in verse 123. Starting in section 124, verse 123. The Lord said, Verily I say unto you, I... What's the verb here? I give you the officers belonging to my priesthood. In other words, the officers belonging to the priesthood are what? They're gifts. God is giving me a gift. So let's go to the very top. He mentions patriarch here. We'll get to the higher one, but... You know, patriarch is the one that we mentioned is kind of non-hierarchical, right? I give you a patriarch. I give you a patriarch. Now let's go to the top of the hierarchy. Verse 125, I give unto you, whom? My prophet. I give unto you the president of the church. One of God's greatest gifts to you in this day is his prophet. He is a gift. And then going down the hierarchy, I give unto him, what does the prophet, what does the president of the church need? Counselors, a first presidency. And they are going to receive the oracles of the church. Okay, verse 127, I give unto you, what's the next gift? Who's next in the hierarchy? The president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. In our case, Dallin H. Oaks is the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. The, the acting president is Mar- Mar- Melvin J. Ballard, or that's his grandpa, <laughs> M. Russell Ballard. Okay, and then he lists all of the twelve. Verse 143, or 131, at that time they had a high council. We would jump next to verse 133. What is our title for the president of over a quorum of high priests. That's the stake president. Now what I love, what does the Lord call the stake president? What does the Lord call the stake presidents? Servants. In the local area, in my stake, in the local areas of the church, who has the most authority? The stake president. And what kind of person should, be, should the stake president be? The greatest of all the servants. Do you see how the hierarchy works? Um, notice he just, he's coming down the hierarchy, and so he gives unto the stake president counselors. Um, who's another key holder? Someone to preside over the quorum of elders. I give unto you someone to preside over the quorum of seventies. I give unto you a bishopric. So what kind of person should my bishop be? He's he's the person who has most authority in my ward. He should be the biggest servant of my ward. And if he is, what does the Lord say? I love this. 143, if my bishop is a servant, if my stake president is a servant, all the way up to the president of the church, then the above officers have I given unto you and the keys thereof for helps 
and governments and for the work of the ministry and for the perfecting of my saints. Do you see why we have a hierarchy? It creates an orderly system. But done right, it requires that as you go up that hierarchy, you, your mentality becomes more outward, like Jesus came to spend his whole life ministering. He came to, to serve and not be served. I think that's an important clarification when we talk about hierarchical priesthood. I love how the Lord said it in section 50. If you want to just turn there. He that is great among you. You know how that goes, right? Starting in verse 26. He that is ordained of God and sent forth, the same is appointed to be the greatest. Notwithstanding, he is the least. How, how can you be the greatest and the least? I mean, it's, I think that's Sean and Jesus Christ uh, washing the feet of the apostles. Yep. Beautiful example. The higher you go on that hierarchy, the greater your authority. But you become the least in what sense? The least prideful, I would hope. The least focused, the least focused on yourself. And the way I like to read it is, if I consider myself great, what am I to the Lord? The least. If I consider myself the least and the servant of all, then what does the Lord consider me? That's someone the Lord can do great things with. So, would you remember that? Liam, as you go out into the mission field and you become a district leader and then a zone leader and then assistant to the president. Unfortunately, we've all kind of watched those people. Their position goes to their head and they get a little arrogant. And amen to the priesthood or the authority of that man. <laughs> Jaden's back there saying, yep. <laughs> Bless their hearts, right? We've learned from sad experience that it is the nature and disposition of almost all men as soon as they get a little authority. As they suppose, they will begin to exercise unrighteous dominion. Okay, any other thoughts on hierarchical priesthood? Do you see why it's so important? We all know who's in charge at any moment. But the only way that works, the only way that works in the Lord's system is if as you increase in authority, you increase in love and service. I think I would probably add these two words. Go to section 12 of the Doctrine and Covenants. If we apply this verse to that same idea, Section 12 of the Doctrine and Covenants says it beautifully. No man can assist in this work, save he shall be... No man can assist in this work, save he shall be humble and full of love. So is it, is it would you agree that as I increase in authority, I should increase in... Humility and love. When you look at how President Nelson talks to the saints. Like... I love when he says things like, I'm, I'm in my 90s. I don't waste time that thing with things that don't matter, and you matter. You, you feel that. When he says, you matter to me. I think that's why he has so much 
authority. Okay, any thoughts about hierarchical? Now, let's turn to patriarchal or home priesthood. We really can't call it that because there is one place we practice patriarchal priesthood that's not in the home. And those of you who have been to the temple can help me explain the concept of patriarchal priesthood. Now, let me give you an example. How many return missionaries do I have? Okay, your mission president's wife had how much authority in the mission? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. That's out of respect because she was fantastic. How much priesthood authority did she have? When she was set apart, she was set apart as president of the mission? She was set apart as a, a sister missionary. In the absence of the president of the mission, how much, is she in charge? Was the mission president's wife in charge in the absence of the mission president? That's hierarchical. The mission president's wife doesn't have hierarchical authority. But when we call someone to be a temple president, it's very different. My father-in-law was called as a temple president of the Manti Temple. His wife is sustained as matron. Can anyone tell me what it means to be the matron of the temple? Equal partner in what sense? She presides 100% over the female ordinances. Those of you females that have been endowed, when you went into the temple to be endowed, you met with the matron because she is in charge of female ordinances. Females receive the ordinances from females. Do you understand what I'm saying? In the temple, do females officiate in priesthood ordinances? That's a violation of hierarchical priesthood, isn't it? Because in hierarchical priesthood, you have to hold an office. In patriarchal priesthood, females receive the ordinances from females, which means a female was endowed by a female. Let me just let that distill on you. That is one of the coolest things that no one notices. Because you're busy having the men come through your section and she's busy having the women come through her section. There isn't anyone who performs an ordinance to her that's male. Until the presence of God at the veil. Everything else, right? 
is done by a female. Do females exercise priesthood ordinances in the temple? Now that's a violation. Do you see how much of a violation that is of hierarchical keys? Because in the hierarchy, you have to hold an office. Not in the patriarchal priesthood. Now, my point is that everything that's hierarchical is scaffolding to build the most important unit in the church. There is one unit in the church that is more important than First Presidency, Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and even temples. Everything here, everything under hierarchical priesthood is scaffolding. Now here's the problem. When a building is covered in scaffolding, like the Salt Lake Temple is now, anyone been down to see the temple? You can't see the temple, can you? And it frustrates me. I can't see the temple. The only thing I can see is... Now, if I didn't know better, what would I think? That the scaffolding is the building. Now, do you see my point? If you don't know better, it looks like the scaffolding, the hierarchical priesthood, is the building. It is not. Everything under hierarchical priesthood is temporary and will come to an end because it is scaffolding to build the one unit in the church that will never end. Every temple will crumble and fall apart and be destroyed. Every church building Every stake president will be released. Every bishop will be released. Every prophet will die. But the capital T unit in the church is the family. But unfortunately, the family is surrounded by scaffolding that causes us to think what? The scaffolding is most important. So can I ask a blunt question? Why are there no men in the Quorum of the Twelve? Or why are there no women in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles? Now the world looks at the scaffolding and cries foul, right? The world looks at the scaffolding and says, shame on you Mormons, your hierarchy doesn't include women. And we say, yep, you're right. Because all of this is scaffolding and it's secondary and it doesn't matter. And where it does matter, where do we put women? Where do we put women? Side by side at the top. And they preside. And if you forget that, you might cry foul. You might say the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a sexist organization until all the scaffolding comes off and the eternal family stands supreme 
with men and women standing how? Side by side. How much authority does a temple president have over female ordinances? Zero. If she's absent one day, do the men step in and take over? Nope. You know what happens if she's absent? If there's no women ordinance workers, we, cl- we, sh- we stop. No one can get ordinances. They are not a substitute. Because they, they the men, have absolutely no authority over women ordinances. And women have how much authority over men ordinances? Therefore, in the temple, the president and the matron preside side by side. Now, what are we modeling with that? The family. So President Nelson comes to my home. Who presides? Not President Nelson. None of this hierarchy has any priesthood authority in my home. President Nelson. If President Nelson's in my living room, who calls on someone to pray? Not President Nelson. That's powerful, isn't it? The highest over here is subordinate over here. Let me give you a fascinating example. Turn with me. October 19, oh, 2005. October 2005. I'm probably wrong on that. Yep. In sacrament meeting, the moment the prophet walks in, can he sit down there in the audience and just be Russell? He can't because the moment he walks in, he presides. But when he walks into the temple, he presides. If they were short on temple ordinances, could he walk over and perform the ordinance? Not necessarily. And that's powerful, isn't it? That's powerful. The cons- So turn with me to... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just drawing a blank. Let me... Okay, it's Dallin H. Oaks. Actually, I'm, let's do it this way. This, do it this way. Let's go to General Conference. October 2005? Okay, everyone turn to October 2005 General Conference. Uh, let me pull it up, this version. This is probably better. Okay, so General Conference. No, not that one. General Conference speakers, Dallin H. Oaks, October 2005, Priesthood Authority and the Family. I want to get to, um, let's read this one. Verse number one. My subject is Priesthood Authority in the Family and in the Church. Number one. My father died when I was seven. I was the oldest of three small children our widowed mother struggled to raise. When I was ordained a deacon, she said how pleased she was to have a priesthood holder in the home. But mother continued to direct the family, including calling on which of us would pray when we knelt together each morning. You see the irony? What did he assume? He assumed that deacon in the priesthood, office holder in the hierarchy... 
trumps non-office holder in the home. And he was mistaken, right? But mother continued to direct the family, including calling on which one of us would pray when we knelt together each morning. I was puzzled. I had been taught that priesthood presided in the family. There must be something I did not know about how that principle worked. About this same time, we had a neighbor who dominated and sometimes abused his wife. He roared like a lion and she cowered like a lamb. When they walked to church, he, she always walked a few steps behind him. That made my mother mad. She was a strong woman who would not accept such domination and she was angry to see another woman abused in that way. I think of her reaction whenever I see men misusing their authority to gratify their pride or exercise control or compulsion upon their wives in any degree of unrighteousness. What do they misunderstand? A man that does that in his home misunderstands what? He is practicing hierarchical priesthood in the home and we don't. He does not have authority over her, does he? So Elder Oaks continued, I have also seen some faithful women who misunderstand how priesthood authority functions. Mindful of their partnership relationship with their husband and the family, some wives have sought to extend that relationship to their husband's priesthood calling, such as bishop or mission president. In contrast, some single women who have been abused by men, such as in a divorce, mistakenly confuse the priesthood with the male abuse and become suspicious of any priesthood authority. A person who has had a bad experience with a particular electrical appliance should not forego using the power of electricity. And then this sentence. Someone read that sentence, that paragraph for me. Each of the circumstances I have described results from, the from misunderstanding priesthood authority and the great principle that while this authority presides in both the family and the church, the priesthood functions are different in, uh, are in a different way in each of them. Okay, read that again. We got to hear this. This is powerful concept. One more time, Andrew. Each of the circumstances I have described from misunderstanding priesthood authority and the great principle that while this authority presides in both the family and the church, the priesthood functions in a different way in each of them. The priesthood functions differently in the home and in the church. Keep going. This principle is understood and applied by the great, uh, by the great church and family leaders I have known, but it's rarely explained. Would you agree? How many of you would sit back and say, in my whole life, I don't think I've ever had this discussion. In my whole life, in all of my life, I don't think I've ever had a discussion like we're having today. And I don't know, is that because we're doing something wrong in the church? I don't know, where's the breakdown? I think it's hard to talk about that priesthood in this setting. And I don't think we take advantage of talking about this priesthood in this setting. And so we naturally just assume that hierarchical priesthood is how we practice priesthood in the home. And that's not true. Keep finish that. Even the scriptures, which record various exercises of priesthood authority, seldom state expressly which principles only apply to the exercise of priesthood authority in the family or in the church or which apply to both of them. Okay, so we've got a mystery on our hands, don't we? To further add to that mystery, We've got the confusion of we so clearly see one and assume that the other is like it. 
But I invite you to change that today. I invite you to have a home where we have these discussions. I invite you and your spouse to have some very lengthy, significant discussions about priesthood in your home. And what does priesthood mean in the home? In what sense do I, the male, preside in my home? I can only see one way I preside in the home. And that is, well, no, me. In what sense am I, do I have authority over my wife? In the sense that the family is a unit of the church. In that sense, we speak of fathers in the home, right? If the bishop's going to call and get permission to do something for my family, who does he typically call? He usually calls the priesthood holder. I get that. I understand that. But when I hang that phone up, what should be happening in that home? The moment that call, okay, thank you, Bishop, for holding the, a hierarchical discussion. Now the hierarchy is over, and now we are patriarchal. So the first thing I do is share with my wife, and then we discuss what do we do. I would invite you to break a few traditions. How many of you had a dad who did all of the assigning prayers, family home evening, and all that. How many of you had a mom that if dad didn't do it, it didn't get done? I would ask that you break that tradition. I do not preside over her in our home in any way. And that is a discussion we need to have. We need to claim that. We as couples need to own that and that she has just as much authority and has the rights to the, pre the power that I do. Now, because we're a unit of the church, during COVID, my family was given permission to hold the sacrament in our home. Now, did my wife do that? Did my wife perform the sacrament in our home as a presiding officer. No, because that was a function. You see, that was a function of the hierarchy. But the moment the hierarchy ends and we step into this world, where is she? Where is she? Always at my side. Always. Let's watch the Lord establish home patriarchal priesthood in the very, very beginning. Turn with me to Moses chapter 3. This is symbolic. But watch what God does in Moses 3. I think this is powerful commentary on how priesthood functions in the home. Let's start in verse 18. Now, is Eve there? Come on, let's, let's be honest. Go back to chapter 2, verse 27. Is Eve there? Yep. I, God, created him, male and female, created I them. Is Eve there? Yes. 
was Heavenly Mother there? How can you create a woman in the image of God unless you've got a woman? So Heavenly Mother, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Mother created Adam and Eve, right? So everything in chapter 3 seems to be commentary. Uh, commentary on how to live in that unit, this family unit. And so I love how the Lord declares in verse 18, it is not good that man should be alone. It is not good that man should conduct the affairs of the home alone. Every decision. So let's make an help me. Now we've butchered that. Help me does not mean in any way lesser or lower. And to prove that, the Lord says this beautiful little example. I, the Lord, caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and I took out one of his ribs, and I closed up the flesh from the stead thereof, and the rib which I, the Lord God, had taken from man made I a woman. Now, this is symbolic because that's not literally what happened. And brought her unto the man. Where did God place his wife. Why the rib? From the very beginning, you see the commentary he's saying? From the very beginning, he's saying, this is how it works in the home. If God had taken Eve from his foot, where would that have placed her? Are there men who do that? And that is not the pattern. You do not put her underneath you in any way. If God had taken him, her from his skull, where would that have placed her? And are there some men that do that and some women that do that? She didn't come in front. She didn't come behind. Where is Eve relative to Adam? At his side. And at his side, he says, verse 24. Tell me what the Lord says. As she's standing at his side, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Do you see what needs to change? Now, the foundation of the restoration is that we claim our privileges in the priesthood. One of those is when uh, authority, when a key holder gives me an assignment then I stand up there and I exercise priesthood authority and I expect heaven's help. I expect heaven to respect the authority that I have and be with me. Every door Jaden knocked on, I expect heaven to stand here and be with me because I am here with authority. And then we talked about power. But in the home, in the home, we practice a different priesthood. And we stand side by side. Financial decisions? Side by side. What if I make the money? What if I'm the provider? My wife has wanted to be a stay-at-home mom our whole life. The moment she, the, the last day she held a job, was three days before she gave birth to our first child. I have brought home every paycheck since then. But in my mind, in my attitude, all of that money is ours. And I shouldn't ever use phrases like my money. 
I should never expect a little bit more control over it because I earned it, right? Where is that putting her? Below me. And that is not how priesthood functions in the home. That's how priesthood functions here. Every decision, we are side by side. Do you see the beauty of priesthood? I love priesthood. And when people mock the priesthood because it's a men's only organization, I just cringe because they don't understand so little of priesthood is hierarchical. So much of priesthood is the home. May we claim that power and that authority. May we understand when I have power and when I don't. And may we exercise the great power of the priesthood in our homes. And stop this misunderstanding is my great prayer for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining us for Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This has been class number four, as we have discussed the difference between priesthood in the church and priesthood in the home. Would you ponder this week or maybe have a discussion with someone in your inner circle about how can we have more of these discussions? How can we discuss the role that priesthood should play in our homes? How could we bring that to the forefront of our understanding and the application of priesthood in our lives?